Mansell with HJ Sports, and today we're going to go over our new sites within the Tetra line for 2022. So new for 2022, we actually came out with a new way to mount your scope housing to the infinite adjust bracket. No longer do you have to worry about your vertical adjustments uh, intertwining with the second axis adjustments. So as you'll see on the scope housing, uh, there's actually an additional brick. You can either mount that to the inside of the riser or to the outside of the riser. We recommend that for most traditional bows, you mount that to the inside of the riser and for any sort of sight that you're gonna mount in line with the bow to use the outside. Just flip that around um, and mount it to the outside of the riser. So within each of the product categories, we have the Tetra Max, the Tetra, and then the Tetra LT. As always, our Tetra line of sights come in four different scope housing size options, an inch and three eighths, an inch and five eighths, an inch and three quarters, and then also our four pin housing, which is an inch and three quarters. We also offer a 10 thousandths pin and a 19 thousandths pin for both single pin and four pin options. On the Tetra itself, we once again have micro adjustments as well as your macro gain adjustments for left and right. For your vertical adjustments on your Tetra bow sight, you'll want to use the screw right here on the infinite adjust rail and the screw below that. You'll just loosen those and slide it up and down. Another key feature on the 2022 Tetra bow sight is the integrated scope ring that has a built-in level. Another key feature on the 2022 Tetra site is the ability to take a 2500 blue burst light. This is an added on accessory, but you can actually put that on there to add light to your pin or to reduce light. With that, we also have mechanical rheostat, which is an exclusive feature to HHA on the Tetra line. You'll be able to turn in the rheostat if you want to dim the light, and then you'll also be able to turn it out if you want to let more light in. Also on our 2022 Tetra line bow sights, the Tetra comes in either a fixed frame, our Hunter Edition frame, or it comes on a four to eight inch adjustable dovetail. All HHA products are 100% made and sourced in the USA, and they carry a 100% lifetime warranty. For any more questions, please visit our website at www.hjsports.com. Hello, we're at the ATA show at uh, Veteran Innovative Products, uh, an all-American made and manufactured broadhead. So we've got a new one for 2020 called the Combat Veteran 4-Blade. As you can see, 4-Blades got a lot of the same high-quality materials we used with our original 2-Blade Veteran, but the Combat Veteran has a different deployment system. How it deploys is you just squeeze a little bit on your main blades, okay, those compress, and then the broadhead opens. It still has our momentum management compressible blade technology. So the the cutting diameter is inch and a quarter by two inches on this when deployed. Uh, in flight, it's one inch by inch and a quarter. Another feature we added this year with these heads uh, is that you can exchange the bone breaching field point tip with a 125 grain setup if you would like. So swap the tip out, get you 125 grains instead of 100, which is big with those Western hunters. And then it's really simple to lock back in place, roll those blades up, and then it's a click and another click on the other side. It's completely set in, will not prematurely deploy, will not rattle free, solid containment, 100% deployment every time. So we've made a lot of good adjustments and refinements to it to make sure that it's guaranteed to deploy every single time. So that's what's new for VIP this year. 
Welcome back, guys. This podcast is brought to you by RPG Coffee Company, a veteran-owned and operated socially responsible coffee company born to support members of the military, law enforcement, and firefighting communities by donating 50% of their profits. The true secret to living is giving. And don't forget to join the RPG Coffee Club today. Don't wait until you run out. Stay ready to rock by having RPG Coffee delivered straight to your door each month with our coffee club. episode of Bucks for America podcast. I am here at the Twin Rotten Gun Club here in Appleton, Wisconsin. Now, this one is not going to be like a typical format. I have a former guest. We have David Garrett online here. We have Ryan uh, Lundgren, correct? I pronounce it. And we have a special guest, the the uh, president of Old Glory Honor. We got the legend himself that helped uh, Chris get everything off the go here. But I'm actually going to let... Ryan take over and we're going to talk about this amazing event that's coming up here because I know nothing about it and I want to ask questions. Which event are we talking about? The one that's coming up with the Interflight with uh, w- oh. the AA, w- uh, I'm going to butcher it. What so, is it? So, Ogler Interflight, it's at, this, this year is going to be at EAA in Oshkosh. So, EAA, biggest air show, air, I mean, it's air the, event throughout the world. I mean, people fly in from all over the country, all over the world. Uh, you got hundreds, thousands of planes coming into EAA, um, and this year, Old Glory Honor Flight has got about 100 Vietnam vets. And this gonna... is, it's essentially Sturgis for airplanes. That's awesome. That's, that's, that's a good way to break it down. Yeah, people come with, from all Without the, the half-naked ladies. <laughs> oh, boom, boom. Well, I'm sure we get some uh, beads well, out. We can, uh, Wait, what part of EAA? <laughs> Nina. There's a... <laughs> they have, they run a bus. But anyway, the... the Oh, Glory Honor Flight, we've been around since 2008, and um, somewhere around 11, 2010, we started flying a flight out of EAA, and then we were the first group that did all Vietnam veterans on the 40th anniversary of the armistice uh, in Vietnam. Um, there's some logistics involved, one being heat in July in Wisconsin and Washington, D.C., so we, we did a yellow ribbon honor flight and flew um, a plane full of Vietnam vets out, and it, I think the crowning moment for that and something that we realized was the welcome home at EAA because it's the, we're the last plane that comes in during the air show. And, the, um, you know, the air show has two, four, 6,000 people sitting watching it. So these wow. Vietnam vets came off the plane to, I mean, as far as you could see, it was crowd. You know, it's something that they never, ever got. So in that, in that particular year, we actually had, um, I just blanked on it, tie a yellow ribbon around the old oak tree. Um, the guy that's saying it, and I'm blanking on the name, but uh, Tony Orlando. There Tony we go. Tony Orlando. From the thank you. He came. He came and sang for him. So every year, um, we kind of focus on even when we were doing World War II and Korean vets. Yeah. We would do Vietnam vets out of EAA, and uh, it's a pretty amazing experience. I mean, we have other flights regularly, four or five out of the year out of um, Appleton, and uh, but EAA is a special partnership that we have with them. That's pretty impressive, then. So. I don't know where my next question is going to be. So you were talking about so we were we were getting into 2006 and but when you when you enlisted in such year, Ryan, yeah. and you were also talking about like uh, about how people were really energized to go over to the litter box and fight. Yeah. 
and then is like you you're yeah. you're you're bringing up the vet like the yeah. Vietnam vets. It's it, it was it's a very it's a very perplexing situation if you look at it is that Vietnam vets you know they were drafted and a lot of them it, it, if you look at it you look at the psychology and, and this in the and the sociology behind it is that you have you had men and women men that were forced to go do something they didn't want to do and then obviously that's you know that's not necessarily you know I don't want to do something I don't want to do but then you fast forward to the GWAT you had this what is terrorism. the GWAT so global war on terrorism oh okay All so right, you have you have, a, you have the GWAT people probably weren't behind Vietnam because it wasn't directly related to America right it wasn't terrorism you know we weren't attacked it was a conflict that people argue to this day if we should have been a part of it or not fast forward to 2000 where the USS Cole was bombed then people were like okay what the hell what's what the hell's going on this is terrorism and then fast forward one more year 911 happened bunch okay. of assholes flew some planes flew some planes into some buildings and then people got really patriotic and they're like we're going to support our forces we're going to fight and it's kind of like okay well that kind of dilutes the importance of what Vietnam vets did yeah they didn't they they went somewhere they didn't want to go but they also still went they still fought for the country so they, they, they you know people think yeah we're fighting for People say, you know, like when you serve your country, you don't fight for your country. You actually fight and defend our constitution. You know, that that's actually you swear an oath to the constitution. You don't swear an oath to the country. You don't swear an oath to the person in office. You swear an oath to the constitution. I think people really forget about that. And uh, Vietnam and all the modern wars. Look at Desert Storm. Desert Storm is the same thing. People are like, why the hell do we go there? It's 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 upsetting to see people just rise up and support stuff. Um, you know. You know, whether it's GWAT, Iraq, Afghanistan, or Vietnam, um, I, you know, people did something, uh, and it, it should be supported. And I'm glad that there's things like Old Glory Honor Flight that, you know, they they do this and they kind of give them a a second chance, like a, like a, a fresh a fresh take on it. You know, like um, you know, there is a really good documentary. I, for, I it, it, the name escapes me, but it was about Iraq, and there was a bunch of uh, wounded vets that went back to Iraq. And the last time they were in Iraq, they were on med, med flights back. And okay. they went back to the northern part of Iraq, Kurdistan, right? And they actually snowboarded down uh, snow snow covered mountains in, in Iraq, and it was a part yeah. of it was part of. Isn't that cool? That's the coolest thing in the world, right? Yeah. I, we so I talked about this last time I was on this podcast. Yeah, about yeah how we're talking about your your your, your doesn't isn't your unit having a documentary? Out? <clears throat> yeah, it's out right now. Okay, yeah, it's, it's uh, okay. uh, the longest month uh, about first of the two two seven fourth of the two two seven first calf, but. Like going back to Iraq, like it, I don't know. Like, there's something about that, like the closure, like snowboarding down a mountain that you probably looked at while you're pulling security. They did, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. and they probably dreamed of that. Like, man, that'd probably be really cool. Right. And just a, I don't know. There's something. I think there's something. The psychology of leaving on the med flight and then going back right. and right. the healing that probably right. took place. I think it's called skiing Iraq or, or something like that. It's really, it was, something fun. I, I want in on that. I want a little piece of that. There was like four. And the one that of the, one of the vets, she was a female, female vet. She was a Kiowa pilot. She got shot down in Baghdad and they took her up this mountain and she, she snowboarded her ski down this uh, snow covered mountain in Northern Iraq. Oh, we, and like, we actually did that. Oh, you, you're you a veteran took, as well? We took 52 vets back to Vietnam with the honor flight. Yep. Yeah, they there's, did. Yes. Actually, on the, the table yes. here, there's a book. There's yes. also a movie. You can probably find it online. Return to Nam. Return to, to, to Nam. We took 52 vets back to Vietnam. That that whole story. Like, you Chris, can't even. Chris Ham was telling me about that. Yep. 
And we had the, one one guy. His wife told us he stopped having nightmares after that. The challenge coin. Really? Yep. They, that's impressive. That's a, were, that's a big rake for her. They were given they were given challenge coins to leave somewhere in Vietnam. Okay. And then, in memory of their friends, you know, we've got guys as, as close as we could to the places they were. You know, when you're flown into a jungle somewhere, you can't. There's no road there anymore. You know what I mean? Um, so what was that like for? Not to interrupt, but it was just it was powerful. Yeah, like I mean, that has to be. It was powerful. Of, oh man, I can only imagine just and mm, being being a, being a part of a, that. a guide, being there and just being a part of that. I, there was hugs and tears, and I mean, it was an amazing trip, you know. And I, you know, some a lot of guys said they put a lot of things away, but over there, you know, um, you know, and then they we brought them home, of course, to a really really great welcome home. I was at um, the welcome home. Yeah. At Nina High School. Yeah, Menashe, yeah Menashe. Sorry, Menashe High School. I think sorry. the fire department was getting a little nervous because we were over overcode there. Yeah, we were way overcode. <laughs> but was it was, like, was I mean, like we brought we brought 52 gym. vets back to where they were. You know, one guy could see the mountain where he was, a couple of these guys where they were shot and they lost their friends and all that kind of stuff. You know, and I, I'm telling you, we, we one of the guys took over to the DJ at a bar at one of the hotels we were staying at. It was like an outside bar near the pool. And they just started breaking open the booze and they started singing all the patriotic songs you think of and all the songs from Vietnam they all started singing that it was it was an amazing just an amazing event to be able to take them there and, and do that some guys don't want to go you know I mean there was you know we'd call them they signed up and they said hey it's not for me and the biggest thing with Vietnam and I guess it would probably be the same way for Iraq and Afghanistan like so in World War II D-Day they're like man that was profound that was a huge piece of history so they preserved that right Vietnam, the communists came in, took over the best American bases, and then the the population one was in the war posture until 1989. We left in 74. So for another 15 years, they were fighting. And if there was a piece of land that wasn't being used, they, it's a small country. They planted something on it. One of the big bases like Camp Carroll or um, was it Da Nang, I think, had a, a big airstrip. I mean, there's just a broken up airstrip and stuff planted all around it. Camp Carroll, there's a piece of concrete in the corner. So and in the the embassy, all the pictures of the now there's stories, buildings around it. You know what I mean? They and the best thing one of the Viet the Vietnamese or the Vietnam soldiers says was the Vietnamese people have moved on. Okay. Right? They their kids are smiling at them and and happy. You know. And when they were in Vietnam, just like Iraq or Afghanistan, if you were with the Americans, somebody was trying to kill you. If you were with the Viet Cong, somebody's trying to kill you. So they were caught. And it was good for the vets a lot just to see that the Vietnamese people had moved forward. They'd moved on. They had, you know, um, so it, it was probably one of the most amazing trips I've ever been on in my life. Yeah, I and I mean, just talking about it gives you guys goosebumps. And I, I was oh, yeah. there. Oh, yeah. I had okay. a guy just, I mean, I have a picture of him. He just, I didn't know somebody was taking a picture, honestly. He just started crying. He just came to me, and I was just the person that was there. And he hugged me. Okay. You know, and he cried, and he cried hard. You know, and it was just incredible. I think it was a similar sentiment in, in Germany. Like, they're trying to put that that dark past behind them. Yep. My wife's great-grandpa uh, stormed D, uh, was on D-Day yep. on the beach there in Normandy uh, during D-Day and stuff. And he went back in 2003. Yeah. He passed away before I got to meet him. So I bet he probably went yep. through the same re- revolutions that he went through. He lived to, to be 90-some years old. Yep. He did really, really well. He developed a couple of pads that John Deere's still using. The guy retired a millionaire. It's like he was just the humblest dude from what I understand from everybody. We've worked through the uh, uh, World War II vets, the Korean vets, and the Vietnam vets. 
and then we've tried to engage the, the GWAT vets as much as we can. The interesting thing is, is so if you were in combat in the South Pacific or even in Europe in World War II, by the time you got home, you know, if you were in the South Pacific, you went from whatever island you're on to another little island. Then you got to Hawaii. This is all on a boat. And then you took a boat back to San Francisco. So by the time you went from combat operations to to home, it was months, right? Korea, they started flying them, but it was still a long time. And I, I ran into a vet at Shields, and I, 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 I can read a vet's hat, you know, so I, I just started <laughs> talking to him. And he's like, you know, the problem with Vietnam is he goes, I went from a firefight in Vietnam in a rice paddy to my mother's kitchen table inside of a week. And the same thing with the GWAT vets. They could go from a firefight to home in, what, 36 hours? Yeah. If, and not, that, if not less. The, yeah, the it's brain, crazy. The brain can't – I don't think the brain can wrap itself around that. No, that's uh, – so in 2003, uh, I was in Baghdad, and uh, rotations came around for leave, two weeks leave. And I told them, I was like, there's no way that you're going to take me – I'm leaving here because I'm, I'm not. I probably won't come back. I mean, that, you're going to have to come find me because it's the, to wrap your head around being constantly. We won't call it hunted because you weren't really hunted, but you know, attacked and and then go home to not is. I mean, just going, just coming home and being around fireworks and thunderstorms. Like it was complete chaos for me, and I could. It's think so awesome. I thought about it with the GWAT vets. Like, say a guy is at home, right? He plays video games. He drinks his Starbucks, has a little bit of pizza, and then he goes to his job at where at McDonald's. You're describing you're describing me. Yeah, <laughs> minus the Starbucks. <laughs> but some of those bases over in Iraq and Afghanistan, they'd go out, and then they'd come back to their video games and their podcasts and their wife. You know, if you were in World War II and you were in the South Pacific, man, you got a letter. That was it. You were in the army. You knew in the army all the time. At some level, the same with Vietnam, right? But all of a sudden, the GWAT, your off-duty life, you got, I mean, I've heard people say that they had, you know, Girl Scout, I mean, they had the things, the comforts yeah, that they had, they needed. So all of a sudden, it, to me, it seems like it pulls you out of the Army life. You play video games at home, you play video games in Af- Afghanistan, and then you're out in the field. I, yes. I don't, a, I couldn't a, under, I couldn't comprehend that. There's an evolution kind of that happened. <clears throat> So 2003, there there wasn't a whole lot of technology. Like I got to call home on a satellite phone. Right. Internet was yeah okay. Video games weren't really that popular. You had DVD yeah. players. You were like, early. Yeah. Yeah. You had some stuff to kind of occupy yourself. And then when I went back in 2006 to 2008, it was uh, I mean it, just like what you talked about. You got off of we call it off of duty off duty, and then you went back and you got into your little room and you got on i didn't but my roommate you know he had xbox and he was hooked into all the other trailers and wires ran over all the trailers and this big spider web of network and they just get on the xbox and they play uh what were they playing at the time it was uh, halo halo yes big halo and it was almost like if i would just sit back and watch it one i wasn't really a video game guy and i just sit back and watch because i 2003, I was over in the desert, and then I come back in 2006, and it was just, life was kind of different. I mean, it was still hard, don't get me wrong, but there was that uh, that decompression that you that was available to you, whereas <clears throat> early on, there wasn't really any decompression. It was all the time. There wasn't which, anything which tour to occupy. Was, which tour was harder, you think, psychologically? <clears throat> psychologically? 
the first one? Was it? Well, that was initial invasion. Of yeah, the initial invasion. I just mean with no decompression. It seems to me that off and on and off and on it almost be. Well, so you get into a rhythm and a routine. Yeah, but that means you're never off, though. You're always on. Yeah. Yeah. So you've never, you never turn it off. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's just, for me, I was constantly on. From the time that I stepped foot, like there was a big change that happened. I was a brand new boot into an active duty unit. And we, they were prepping to go. I mean, when I walked, when I come to the unit, they were packing up Connexes and packing up all the gear. And so, you know, we're standing around in a big smoker circle, and I'm a new guy. And, you know, no, we really weren't, you go through this, not a hazing period, but an acceptance period of, you know, can I trust you? Are you worth, you know, can, are you going to pull your weight? And everybody's kind of looking at you smoking cigarettes, and you're looking at them smoking cigarettes, and nobody's talking. And so then you step foot in country, and you get boots on the ground, and then you get your first mortar attack or your first gunfight or whatever it is, and something something changes. And from the time that that happened all the way until I got out in 2008, it never, well, I mean, still it's still on, but I mean, I was on an 11. And, you know, these new boots in 2006, we were... Uh, we were on Camp Taji, and so we never really left Camp Taji. We worked on an airfield, refueled, and rearmed Apache helicopters. And there would be occasional mortars, and for them, it was this this big event. I mean, it was uh, everybody going nuts, everybody going crazy, running around, try, and it's like, dude, just come with me. Come on, let's go. Like, you can't do nothing. You know, a mortar hit on the airfield, and there was a man down, and we're a couple hundred yards, and it, my buddy, he wanted to go. He wanted to go out there. I was like, no. I was like, we need to get over here to this bunker. I was like, we, there are lots of people coming this this direction. They're going to be taken care of. Not that I don't want to go out there, but it's randomness, pure randomness with those things. Don't can't predict it. And so it was just a. I was used to it. Not that I was a battle hardened this badass, but I'd already been through it once, and I was I was still just a private, you know, I, and. I don't know. It's just really, it's really strange, really weird. Something happens, and it's uh, can't really describe it. But the constant on and off and routine, I didn't really care for it. I liked the randomness and the complete chaos. Like I, I felt like I thrived in that that environment. It was, it was but it's fun. constant chaos. That's what it is. You're in constant chaos. If you think about it, whether you're in Iraq in, or whether training or anything like that, it's constant chaos. Mm-hmm. And yes. you never turn it off. No. So. And it's hard. It's hard to. It's hard to uh, to uh, replicate that because oh, yeah. we strive on it. It's. It's. it's uh, I mean, um, there was a really good Delta operator by the name of Tyler Gray. He kind of came. He kind of created his own identity. Or it's not. He doesn't identify as someone with PTS. He identifies as someone with lack of traumatic stress. Right. So LTS. Right. And he explained it in the sense that PTSD is. You know, the clinical definition is a normal reaction to an abnormal re- event, right? Whereas LTS, lack of traumatic stress, it's like we almost, in a way, we almost strive. We want that traumatic stress. Like we, we op- It's almost like we want that fix, right? And he explained like there was like a fire or something like that. And he was like, he wanted to help. And he started feeling that inner, the inner fight. And it's almost, that, that's, that's what he explained. And I almost like, man, that's kind of like one other, I was in college and a girl like had like a seizure 
and no, none of the kids knew how to handle it because they're all 18, 19 year old kids. Yeah. And I responded to her. And I was just like, I put her in the recovery position. I was like rubbing her chest, doing the, uh, doing the sternum rub. I was like checking her pulse. I cleared her airway. I responded to her within seconds. Right. Crazy. Those life saving things. Just, just, I just, I just reacted. Right. And all the other kids were like, Oh, you don't know what to do. And I'm just like, call 911. You need to go outside and meet them downstairs and bring them here. So they know where they're going. I told the teacher, cancel class, get everyone out of class. Like I took complete command and control. And after that though, I was like, I reacted. And then I went back to the veterans lounge because there was a lounge for vets on, on Whitewater, right? UW Whitewater. Okay. And I told them what happened. And they were like, and like they all kind of like, hey, Ryan, are you okay? We got a debrief. We talked about it. But I was on such a high, I couldn't get off of it. I was yeah. like, I, I need to go run a marathon. Like, I'm ready to go. Like, yeah. I'm amped. Like, let's do it. You know what I mean? Like, right now. Right, right now. And I realized, we, you know, like, it's good that someone was there to help that, that, in, that, that girl. But it's also like that kind of just that that ruined the rest of the day for me because i was on that i mm. went from zero to like zero to a hundred within a millisecond just helping that helping that fellow classmate out it was math class so it's not super important but um <laughs> you know what i mean yeah 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 but yeah, that happens with a lot of us you know what i mean yeah. there's situ- car wrecks things in grocery stores people that collapse you know what I mean? It could be something small. Like a couple, a couple of years ago, I was sitting at the mall with my mom having pizza outside on the patio. This, this little, this, uh, this lady, the curb was like, it's got like a double curb. She tried to get up it and she didn't put her weight forward and she fell backwards. And my mom's like, Oh my God, she fell. And I literally just got out of my seat. I, I hurdled this cement wall, just hurdled it, just hurdled it. Parkour! <laughs> right. And, and I, I ran and I helped her. The, the, the her, her husband was like, super old so he wasn't really helpful right and i was the only one in the entire outside patio that got up and helped them i think what it is is that society is scared there's 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 not a very many people that will step up and help people in a moment of need there's and a psychology when there's a lot of people they don't help they, they think somebody else is going to help right yeah. it's like oh hey is someone going to do it is someone someone going to do it i've seen those 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 trials on on social on yeah, yeah. on youtube and stuff like where where they'll like kidnap a kid right in front of him and everybody's just like nope i'm walking i'm gonna get involved yeah it just it's I amazing how that so you tell that story uh we were shooting earlier and i, I started to tell the story and then we got interrupted but so i'm on this jeep this jeep run and there's probably 15 20 jeeps on this cruise and the column stops and my my buddy josh he's at the front of the column and i'm like in the middle and he comes back he's like hey we need you up here there, we have an emergency I'm like, uh, okay. And I got my kids with me in the Jeep. And I was like, well, I can't, you know, we're on the side of the road here. I can't really leave them just up here. He's like, well, drive your Jeep up there. I'll get my girlfriend to take the Jeep and we'll take the kids away. So I get up there and the terrain that we're in is very hilly and a lot of turns and curves and a lot of motorcycles ride this route that, our, that the Jeeps are on. And I get up there and a, a gentleman was on a trike and he come in hot on this turn and this turn was a not necessarily a 90 degree turn but it was a big swoop turn and he was going too fast and on a trike you can't lean into it and so he just went straight off the turn and down into this valley and so Mike are you leaving Chris? Oh, I want to hear the rest of the story. Okay, then I'm the story? okay, okay. So yeah. you got so me hooked I, now. I walk up and and I immediately know what, like, I know what to do. So I start checking the gentleman. He's laying on his back. His bike is leaking fuel right next to him. He's like, oh, moaning. 
moaning and groaning. He's a Vietnam vet too, by the way. I didn't know this until later, so this is going to come into play. So I'm doing the blood check, and I'm checking him because I don't know what happened. And so I go, and I reach down. I, they can't see. I reach down underneath <laughs> of his right leg, and it's gone. Right. And so my eyes got as big as dinner plates and I'm looking at him and his eyes. He's like, am I all right? And I was like, sir, uh, you're missing your right leg. He's like, oh, no, I'm an amputee. And, it, <laughs> and so, yeah. And so I like, so my heart skipped a beat for a second. And then I'm like, okay, all right. He's like, well, we're, I was like, well, you're okay. Yes. I see your prosthetic. I was like, I'm going to have to, unfortunately, I know I'm not supposed to move you, but your bike is leaking fuel and it's a heavy trike and I need to, I got to get you away from this. And, and so I did the best I could. I took my boots off and I made like a little pillow like you do and did all everything I could and I was moving him. He was, he was in some serious pain and I felt so bad, but I had to get the bike out of there so we could get the stretcher down there to get him out. And you know, there were 40, 50 people on this cruise, and my buddy just come and picked me out. I don't know if it's because, well, obviously it was because I was in the military, but, I mean, I don't know how he knew I knew what to do. And I don't really, I just reacted to it. And it was just crazy how you just, like a snap of the finger, everything. Reverts, a, it reverts back to the lack of traumatic stress. Yeah. Believe it or not, you want you want chaos. Oh, I sh- you strive. Yes. You should be striving chaos. I look for it. It's kind of, it's, it's like, I'll be, believe it or not, since, since my divorce in 2011, uh, I think it was 2011, I've, you know, I've been in numerous relationships and they, whether they ended really badly or badly, I would like, they're like, they're like, well, I'm, like they break up with me and I just stare at them in the face and be like, okay, have a good day. Like that chaos, I'm so comfortable with chaos. I'm so comfortable with being uncomfortable, whether it was a relationship, whether it was like maybe not getting that job or not, you know, not getting that internship or not passing that class. We strive for chaos. We actually, believe it or not, subconsciously want that chaos because we're comfortable with it. Believe it or not, junkies. It's a lot of vets are sure. adrenaline junkies. Sure, that's I why a lot of them of jump that. out of planes. A lot yeah. of them are pilots. Gee, that sounds like somebody we know. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I got to roll out. I got a couple of little shavers here with us, but uh, you know, AJJ Thanks, and the Bow event is 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 raising money for the Honor Flight. We're we're nonprofit. I mean, we have one employee, and we've taken fifty five hundred vets back to DC and oh, made it and. Big, make it in Northeast Wisconsin is our area of responsibility, and you know we've changed, made a big difference in a lot of lives. And Ryan's seen it, and uh, you know if you can't do anything else, you know like our stuff on Facebook and come out to the airport in Appleton, or I don't know what the reach is on the podcast, but if Google your local honor flight and you know support them, you know and uh, go to the local airport and just welcome them home. It makes it makes a huge difference, especially for the Vietnam vets. And then on a, on a side note, Ryan set up that a portion of this is going to a buddy of mine. Uh, that has some health issues, uh, exposure related uh, with the military. And uh, so we greatly appreciate all the support. Uh, and uh, thanks again. Absolutely, yeah, thank Chris, for coming thanks, Chris. I, thanks, I Chris. I didn't plan on being on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were here. You were on a roll. And it's like, let's go. We're, we're waiting for Kyle here. And it's like, he got, oh, there's a canary. Let's go this way. There's a squirrel. Yeah. It's quite funny. So, so Kyle, all we've been really been ch- chatting about is – Talking about the honor flight, talking about their experience, 2006, 2003. So it's like you can pretty much like introduce yourself and kind of roll from there, and these guys will kick in and give you shit later. Right on. Uh, my name is Kyle Mendiola. I am the president and founder of uh, Archery Origins. So we are a nonprofit um, organization 
uh, directed towards veterans, getting them into the sport of archery, oh, uh, strictly through the therapeutics. Um, <laughs> unlike these other folks, we're up in Minnesota. So uh, that's what we, we design, strive to do. Um, yeah, I mean, we come to all these HHA events. Jeff, we've definitely seen each other quite a few. Oh, yeah. It's like um, this is the final, <laughs> first time we actually got on the, each other's on the podcast. It's like we're either we're, you're, I'm either coming and you're leaving or we, you're, we're both being pulled in different directions because – we're, we're one thing we're, or another. Yeah, yeah exactly. There's, <laughs> this is the first time we actually be able to collide. And you also created the the arrow. What's yeah? So we do the uh, so two years ago, Chris and I came up with um, it's called the the straight straight and narrow award. Um, so what we do is at each event we present a arrow um, to a um, volunteer that's at each of the clubs. So my big thing was is. Um, after attending each of these shoots and everything, we noticed just uh, myself being a veteran coming to these events and seeing the members at the clubs just step up and make sure all the grounds are, you know, mowed, everything's already set to go. Um, but they do that in appreciation to say thanks for, for veterans and for these shoots and stuff like that. But my big thing was, is like, nobody ever reciprocates it and says thanks to somebody. And I don't care who you are. There's always somebody at one club that just goes above and beyond. Um, but most of the time, they don't like to be recognized. So um, <laughs> what I decided to do was I, I talked with Chris, collaborated with him, um, and we have um, this year um, Vector Arrows, um, Wisconsin Arrow Company, uh, sent us some arrows. And so what we do is we present each of our arrows. We put a little uh, twist on them. We have our own. Um, arrow wraps on them and then put our own uh, veins on them and present one individual at each shoot with it. Um, so they get the arrow, they get a little certificate award, and it's basically just to say thank you for what you do, just to recognize them. Um, most of the people have no clue what's going on, but it's just my simple token of just saying thank you and, you know, that we see what you're doing. Um, the other people may not say it, but this is one thing just for us to say thank you. Yeah, I think it's pretty special. I've have been to God, that was so seven long. or eight different uh, ceremonies of of your of the the passing of the arrow. So it's it's pretty badass to be able to see it. And, and those who follow me on Instagram and Facebook, I I usually typically record the ceremony and then put and post up there. So this way, then it's like people can actually visually see it. And it's, I, some places I'm, I'm able to do live stream it, and some places I just record it in in a in a eight K and then upload it and go from there. Yeah. My straight and narrow? Straight. You're narrow. I don't know how straight you are. <laughs> Definitely not narrow. <laughs> Maybe I'm, I'm, I could be a broadhead. Oh, yeah, a broad, <laughs> a broad, a broad head. Head. Is, that a, yeah. is that a dad joke? <laughs> no. Some guy talked to me about a casket. <laughs> it's the last thing I need. <laughs> oh, Oh, oh man! Help carry it. Uh, <laughs> we're never having Ryan on the podcast ever again. Yeah. <laughs> so why don't you tell us? Like, because you're you're a veteran yourself. Yep. When did you uh, enlist? Oh, geez. Um, I enlisted October of 07. I've already heard the story. So, yeah, I told it on another podcast one time. <laughs> um, so, I enlisted in 2007. Um, I was a firefighter EMT before I joined the military. Uh, a friend of mine that was on the fire department with me joined the Air Force and was a firefighter kept sending me pictures and we'd talk and he's like, Hey man, this is the coolest thing. I was like, yeah, that sounds awesome. I'm going to do that. So I went to, went to my recruiter after I was 
sitting in a accounting class. Yeah. And realized I hated my life. Um, nobody wants because you were an accounting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We already knew that. Once you said accounting, I was like, uh. yeah. So I was, I was going for a uh, business degree, and uh, you know, like everybody, I'm sitting in accounting, and I did not do one of the assignments. And there was a girl in the class, and she's like, "Why? Well, how do you expect to be an accountant if you don't do any of this stuff?" I said, "Because I'm looking to start a business, and I'm going to hire somebody like you who's really good at accounting, so I don't have to." And that just rolled around into it. It it, just college wasn't for me. Uh, Went and talked to a recruiter and went through the garble of everything. I was having my physical, found out I had a hernia, didn't know that. Um, I was doing concrete work at the time. I was still a firefighter, so it could have came from doing who knows what. So fortunately, I was still on my parents' insurance, so I got to have hernia surgery. And then six months after surgery, I Went back to the recruiter and passed my physical and went down to Lackland Air Force Base. Your Army uh, or? Air Force. Air Force. Oh, so you're one of the fairies, huh? Yeah. I'm one of the smart ones. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All yeah. my cousins went Word. Air Force. Word. Yeah. There's a reason it's hard to get in there. Yeah, yeah. Stay 20 all the time. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, so I found out I um, signed a contract as a security forces member. My recruiter told me it would get me down to basic training faster then that way i would be able to change my job down there well little did i know when you sign a contract you sign a contract so your recruiter lied to you my recruiter lied to me <gasps> yeah. oh no, no. how oh, no. dare he i actually have like an ongoing series my on my podcast dad was a recruiter <laughs> of all the lies. I, have, I have like a literally like that's what, like sometimes that's all we talk about is how recruiters lie and i interviewed that d-day veteran on my podcast bill, yeah. P- bill pickerel <laughs> yeah. d-day yeah. d-day veteran <laughs> wave number two battle of the bulge veteran and he's just like yeah i signed my contract and you know uh, i was supposed to do this and i ended up on a boat going around northern ireland and i'm like so wait you're telling me that recruiters sucked in world war ii and he's like yeah and i'm like yeah oh my god it's still happening it's still a thing like you want to you want to change something we can't have beards but recruiters can still be lying pieces of shit okay whatever oh those are like the most evil people in the world sorry not to interrupt your i know you're you're real good at interrupting so (laughs) anyways with this death stare you're trying to give me doesn't work with that nasty mustache yeah (laughs) is top gun mustache the romance of the 80s yeah so uh, if you're only listening this is not a visual that's what they're doing right now how much are they fucking listening to this podcast i'll give you a visual experience (laughs) if you could look at any list of pedophiles (laughs) that are on a registry and you look at their mustaches. <laughs> that's what Ryan. <laughs> True story. <laughs> no comment. I, I dig it, bro. It's funny. It's yeah. hard. It's, it's, it's a funny. mustache is a hard facial feature. You know what? Pull. I'm owning it. I own yeah. it. I'm owning it. I don't. Care. I had one when I was in the army. I'm owning this. And they used to call me Chester because of yeah. that big red cat. Yeah, but you definitely you got red. I mean, I fit the description. You're red. Yeah, <laughs> you're. <laughs> you're a soulless bastard. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm a soul sucker. See, yeah. I'm a hybrid. I, I still have partial of my soul, so it's I'm all right. You look, you got like some random like extinct caterpillar on your under your nose. It's like, did you yeah. like get lost in the Amazon? Oh man, in the Pleasantine era. Yeah, but the I'll problem is, is Ryan, yours doesn't grow. In the middle, so directly. It's our that dirty yeah. 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 yeah, so yeah, it looks yeah. like you have a left and a right mustache. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's actually I actually call it like upper lip eyebrows. <laughs> you can like move it. Oh yeah, yeah. Can you move both? Okay, okay. Can you move 
Can you lift like each individual eyebrow and your mustache at the same time? Oh yes, yeah. Yeah. there you go. It is. Ripe stash, this ripe is, brow. This is going to be the best podcast you've ever had. <laughs> oh, this is going to be hilarious. <laughs> this is like, I mean, we should do this more often. I know, Sorry, I agree. Kyle, I, I, agree. I didn't mean. I had to. I had to get on. Well, Chris and I okay. have been trying to. We're talking to Dave here and getting getting him on board, getting set up with the podcast, all of that. And I told him I'll, I'll handle your over the web stuff because I already have Zoom. So you just tell me who you want to have on there, and I'll set up the invites. Right. Right. No, Kyle's stories. Uh, he's got a really good story. He was on the Frago podcast. Man. Year ago? Last year? Yeah, I think it, it was. was last year. Yeah, probably. Was it last yeah, year? My wife's shaking her head, yeah. yeah was it so. last year? Because <laughs> yeah, it's, it's on my phone. I just haven't listened to it yet. And oh, then uh, one of those guys. We did it. it was, oh, no, I have no. a lot. No, it's like I actually have a download of it. I have so many podcasts. We went, too. We went pretty in-depth, and, uh, you know, Kyle did a lot of awesome things. And, uh, you know, it, it, the Air Force is one of those awesome branches that there's so much going on, and I think there's a lot of professional development that goes on in the Air Force. Uh, a lot of uh, most of the Air Force guys that I know actually have really good jobs, and they actually, they're actually their transition doesn't seem to be as horrible. I mean, there's still something going on, but comparatively to the all the vet like Army vets and Marine Corps vets, I mean, just in two years alone working for the Pentagon, I helped three thousand men, women, and family members with transitioning. So I mean, you've, I've been doing this for fifteen years. So quantify that as a number. I mean, you're looking at thousands, ten thousand plus veterans. I'm helping them. Air Force veterans seem to kind of in my opinion, have something together just a little bit. Granted, I think it's a lot has to do with the fact that, you know, they are in hotels all the time. They get catered food. They have air conditioning. They have laundry <laughs> services. <laughs> well, we have your wife. Rec- your wife is picking on me, and yeah, I will. They have bad recruiters. That, I that's will. Excuse. I will yell at someone's wife. That's okay. because she was Air Force. Also, though, she picked the right branch. I know. I know. She, you, you, uh-huh. you do. Yeah. yeah. But I, I mean, branch. I mean, your list of, of what you're saying. I mean, a lot of the that, amenities. It's kind of like buying an apartment now. Like, does it have yeah, a ground hotel? Pool? I mean, <laughs> you, you're really pushing it there. I mean, the only thing we didn't have catering, but besides that, everything was true. Pretty close. <laughs> I'm I'm sorry I'm sorry this branch doesn't it just doesn't do good for my family yeah. I need I need in ground I need underground parking for my service okay oh, I need I need I need heated storage for my boat I was talking about this uh, the day we were talking about branches and uh, I was telling a story about like the Coast Guard how under the radar they are they're badasses they are one so there's that there's sniper unit Hitron Hitron sniper unit yeah. Yep. Well, I don't know about them, but the video of the guy, I guess he may be off the coast of Florida, on that when he jumps full battle right yep. onto that yep. submarine. He's, he's telling them that they're violating the embargo oh, in, in Spanish. Yep. On that hatch. Yep. So a friend of mine in the Army, his brother was also in the Army, and he got hurt uh, during Ranger School, and he got, out of the, got kicked out of the Army, basically. But he went to the Coast Guard, and he was stationed down in Galveston, Texas. Sure. So me and my buddy went down to visit his brother. We were in the Army at the time. And we go down there, and just I was like, "Why? Why weren't we told about this? Why? Why is nobody talking about how awesome this Coast Guard thing is? Because Coast Guard's they, pretty legit. They've got it going on, bro. Yeah, yeah. So they have, so they have, they have jurisdiction to, to aboard any vessel uh, in uh, you know, like U.S. waters or something like that. Maritime law. Um, they they are just anti counter drug counter uh, like human trafficking type stuff. 
Um, they have that sniper unit, Hitron. Hitron is like an incredible, like most people don't even know the Coast Guard has a sniper unit. A couple years ago, the U.S. Coast Guard actually beat uh, the U.S. Uh, Marine Corps Sniper School at the International Sniper Competition. Oh, and nice. that was an ongoing fucking joke. Like the Coast Guard just comes out of nowhere and just smoke. smoke From left check. field, the they, Coast Guard Not comes only did they beat the U.S. Marine Corps Scout Sniper School, they beat like every, every yeah, there's 20 yeah. teams, <laughs> international, right? So they beat all of the Ranger regiments. They beat most all the Army active duty guys. I think they ranked in like the top five. I think they were top five a couple years ago, and it was just the most. It was the most incredible thing. The National Guard was top was up there too, just above the Coast Guard. Nasty girls in the yeah, picture. buddy. The some, nasty girls. Yeah, yeah that's. Yeah. There was one year the National Guard won best Ranger, best best Sapper, best Sniper, and best Tanker competitions. Wow. Yeah, but the Coast Guard, man, like incredible, incredible organization. Absolutely, yeah, they 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 definitely fly under the radar, and that's uh, I was uh, I worked communication towers for a while, and we were in charge of putting some communication deals on top of these towers in Eastern Kentucky, West Virginia, and I, I, we got to talking to a, a couple Coast Guard gentlemen, and I was just asking them what what these were actually for, like what we were doing, and. They were putting communication along all waterways in the United States, and they could have somebody on station within 15 minutes, no matter where it was at. If they got a distress call anywhere on any waterway in the United States, they could be there in 15 minutes. And to me, that was, was like, wow, that is so insane. That's nuts. There was a, this has nothing to do with the Coast Guard, but there was actually a really interesting story I came across about World War II. Uh, I don't remember what island it was, but it was the British. And the Japanese were fighting hardcore, and I forgot what island it was, but what happened was is that the British were coming in on this island. They were fighting the Japanese, and there was about, I, would, they, I think the numbers were like twelve to 1,500 Japanese, right? And they were either, hey, we're going to fight, or we're going to try to flee this island through the uh, the swamps and the marsh, right? Is this the one where they get killed by all the crocodiles? Crocodiles. Yeah. So over a only thousand 20 died. Japanese soldiers lived. Rest of them, according to story, were eaten by all the crocodiles. Can you, like, this so needs were, this needs to be a movie because yeah, they, it's going to be yeah. the greatest movie of all time. Sharknado. Dude, I'm telling you, like, I read this. I read. I how read. Many crocodile, I mean, how many crocodiles would it take to take out that many crocodiles? Have like a huge appetite, from what I remember. Oh yeah, and they get over close to up to 25, 30 feet. I think the largest one of record. Can you just in imagine Nile. you're just like minding your own business, and this big old twenty foot croc just comes up and just snatches you. Yep. Like that is some crazy. Like, and then looking around, and there's all crocodile Dundee shit right there. I'm sorry, bro. Like there's, I, I'd rather just be taken prisoner from the British at that point. I don't <laughs> want to be. Like I read this story, I was just so baffled. Like that's not something that's shared. You know, Air Force won't have to worry about that because like they don't have to go on swamps and stuff. So no. yeah, Kyle's over here smug, smugly shaking his head. <laughs> but I thought that was just a crazy story that I wanted to share. Just Absolutely, like, I've never heard that. That's a that really needs to be a movie. It needs to be a movie. Have you guys heard about the the Vietnam or the World War II vet that survived um, a plane crash three miles up? So I, correct me if I'm wrong. It wasn't a plane crash. the The tail was cut in half. Half. Yes, he was a he gunner. Was, he was a gunner, and he was actually in the tail of the plane. The tail of the plane fell yes. all the way to the ground. Three miles, And yeah. he lived. He cr- he was in the tail of the plane, and he lived. And 
Gotcha. He only walked away with like a couple broken bones. He he broke. Um, well, actually, it was well, he broke the like every bone in his body. Well, right? the 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 guy that used to live over in La Crosse County, and the guy that helped write his story lives in La Crosse County as well. He's a, he's a school teacher in like Veroca or something like that. And my bu- my wife bought the book. She watched him do a lecture. Are they from Wisconsin? Yeah, they're all from Wisconsin. Yeah, is he still but, alive? No, the real the World War Two vet has passed away. Uh, but he broke all of his ribs. He spiderwebbed his shoulder blade. He busted his leg. He, he messed up his hip. But the funny thing is, he he was in the POW camp for two years, and the the the, the Nazis healed him back up and then tortured him for the for the remainder of his uh, his prison sentence before they came in and uh, liberated him, liberated the, the camp. I mean, I mean, kudos to getting fixed. You know, I mean, like I'm glad that he got fixed up because he probably wouldn't wouldn't have lived. But three miles up. In a tail of the plane, and he wasn't from. I think he was. He was. He got fucked up, but I'm like, not. He didn't die. Like it wasn't no, really yeah. all that bad. And it was. I was like, I read this. I read it in uh, the Guinness Book of World Records because mm-hmm. it actually it's a record. It, yes. He said yes. The it was the highest technically free fall. Yeah. Without parachute, <laughs> that someone lived. So, and it was just one of those fluke things. I think he hit. He hit something that kind of really kind of stalled. I, I don't remember. I got to read it, but. I have. I got the book, so I'm I'm actually going to read the book. But basically, it's because the guy came back, survived, had seven kids or something like that, and he just talks about his how he came and made a business and talk about all that stuff. And then the author that helped him write his stories out, he was talking about what he went through and his whole uh, was like wife went like through three bouts of cancer and the whole. I haven't had the just got the book, so I haven't had a chance to read it yet. But it's going to be pretty interesting. But uh, he's in the local, so I'm going to probably have him on my podcast or this podcast. So it's nuts. Just to kind of switch gears a little bit, uh, since we're all Iraq war veterans here, the I was uh, I got a phone call the other day about uh, the Iraq. Well, the burn pit stuff is a thing now. I hear, right? Like a it's thing. A, it's well, it's always been a thing, thing yeah. but it's a it's a becoming um, a disability now where you can get a dbq ooh, for like it gets cool throat yeah. Tickle. yeah 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 i have i have that yeah and i always wondered if that's what it was from and i got well, a phone sure call for from you it's probably from all other stuff just there's no such thing son <laughs> <laughs> let's let me clarify that gas prices are real high right now <laughs> yeah. so. so the toxic exposure <laughs> is actually becoming uh it's a bill right now. Yep. It passed. It passed the Senate and went back to the House. They're waiting on to finally vote on it officially. And then once that's done, it's going to go to the president's desk and it's going to get signed into law. So they're trying to get that done. Some of the there's, there was like twelve or fourteen Republicans that didn't like the price tag, so they 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 didn't vote against. They voted against it, but it was has huge majority back. Very very bipartisan back bill. I last year my asthma and toxic exposures was actually approved because of the presumptive lifts change. There was, um, there was, uh, like sinitis, there was asthma. And then there was another one that was, those are only the first three that were added. Right. So that I initially filed for toxic exposures back in 2013, denied it. Right. And then, but I had all these pulmonary function tests, stuff like that. So now that if this becomes law, what happens is that, Back in Vietnam, they created what was called the Nemer Law. Nemer was created because Vietnam vets filed for cancer and uh, Camp Lejeune and, and Agent Orange. My, my uncle is going through all that stuff right, right now. So Nemer was, Nemer, was, Camp Lejeune. Nemer was mainly for Vietnam. 
right, for Agent Orange stuff, right? Yeah. But they fought that for years, right? Once Nimer was passed, Nimer law, Nimer opened up the floodgates, and you got Vietnam vets getting back pay. For, oh, yeah. You got a quarter of a million dollars. Oh, yeah. My uncle right? is sitting pretty right now. Right. So then now, because of the toxic exposure for, for GWAT vets, it's going to it's gonna actually upgrade Nimer, and it's going to incorporate a lot of other things. Lejeune, the, the look at Blue Water. You got those Navy guys that were within eight nautical miles, I think it was, or something like that, of Vietnam. If they were with, if they were within like eight or twelve nautical miles uh, off coast of Vietnam, they qualify for the blue water disability um, presumptive stuff like that. So you got toxic exposure to Iraq, Afghanistan, and they're adding a ton of stuff to this bill. We're talking rare types of cancers, rare types of diseases, uh, the, the 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 amount of metal that was in the air that oh we breathe in. So that what was actually in my favor is that the army and their great wisdom did a fucking air quality test on Iraq when, in, on my base and <laughs> the quality the air quality test was horrible like I showed it to like like and an, someone that studies this stuff at like my college and they're just like how are you like not dead yet and I was just like I don't know like fucking rippets I don't know like, <laughs> uh, six ounce ribbit can yeah I'd, <laughs> I'd say it was just because we all drank Water from water bottles that were boiling in the sun. That's well, why we're still alive. It's that, but like the the water, the water in Iraq. If you read the, the side of the bottle, there was like high levels of calcium and potassium in those things. And I'm like, cool, we're just gonna get kidney stones while they're at it too, right? So this bill is massive, and they're trying to get it. They want to get it done asap because summer uh, 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 recess comes up really soon here. I think on the 20th of this month, I think is uh, recess. So they want, and this is, you know, whether, well, however your political views are, I don't really fucking care. Uh, this is uh, Biden's, like, this is what he wants to get done. And I respect it because his son, you know, we don't know the cause of his cancer, but, you know, it, is there a high probability that it was caused from exposures? So whatever your opinions are, I don't really care. We got men and women, personal friend of mine that we're raising money for right now has exposures and, you know, he's terminal. So this means more than just politics. This is quality of life for families and the men and women that serve this country. So if you if you if you want to you know call your representative and tell them to sign this bill and tell them why, uh, this is my only rant about it. But to kind of give you guys a little back, so this is like this is what I do every day for work. So yeah. this is something that I keep up on. Well, that's why I wanted to bring up because I, like I said my buddy called me, and where we were stationed at. Uh, we weren't far from Camp Victory. We were on a little base. It's called Log Base Sites, which is the original Margaritaville. But we had two guys. Yeah. We had two guys come down with Lou Gehrig's disease. One of them passed away within a year of leaving. And nothing was wrong with like, And the other, I don't know about my other buddy. No one's talked to him since he got out. But uh, the word was that he also developed Lou Gehrig's disease. And it's just, it's crazy. It's absolutely insane the amount of stuff that we were in contact with and uh my big thing the funniest thing to me is uh <clears throat> you go in on the spearhead and you're in charge you're tasked with moving all the disabled iraqi vehicles from the sides of the road or in the middle of the road and you take them to these bone yards well so you do this you get everything cleared out so everybody has you know, nice road to travel on there and the you know the nice visitation nice stay in iraq and you know, we'll call it six months later, the Army comes out with this uh, thing that says, hey, don't be crawling on, getting inside of or around these <clears throat> disabled Iraqi vehicles. You know, they were shot up with DU, depleted uranium rounds, so the radiation on them. And we'd already done it. it was already, it's already been accomplished. So it's like time. Probably have a third ball right now. 
Well, I got two big ones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Put your finger in your butthole. Let me know if you got anything growing. Okay, we could just got a lot of stuff going on up there. But yeah, I, uh, it's just crazy. Uh, the the things that I mean, you sign. It's an inherent risk, right? You know, you play football, you're going to get concussions. Box, concuss- everything has an inherent risk. Sign the line, but I don't know. I, I don't know how I feel about it. I got that phone call, and I, I just I hadn't. I knew that that was going to probably happen eventually. I just didn't know when, and I knew that you kind of, that's kind of your job. That's what you do. And you're good at it, it seems. I don't know you. I just met you last month. I met both of you last month, so I don't really don't know you that well. But uh, I mean, I, you, there is an inherent risk with everything, right? But at the same time, though, um, if you look at a, you know, a non-veteran that works in a factory, there's an inherent risk in working in a factory. Workers' comp. So there's a lot of people out there that, you know, look down upon veterans that collect service-connect disability. But disability from the VA is no different from workers' comp for the rest of your life, right? Correct. You're, I mean, not to take a page out of uh, Evan Hafer, but Evan Hafer called it, you know, a lot of these men and women, you know, like Aaron, you know, I mean, you know, the physically modified by war. They lost a limb or something like that. So we were modified by war, whether that was losing a leg, losing an arm, losing an eye, losing digits, you know developing issues with your lungs. I mean, believe it or not, let, don't let my belly fool you, but I was, I ran really good. I was a pretty decent runner. Um, you know, I was running sub 15, two miles. Um, I was very active in high school and before high school, uh, football, baseball, all of it, you know, track and field golf, um, did wrestling, got my ass kicked and like it. So I left. Um, but you know, you, you, then you do military service and then you get exposed to exposures. You, you injure yourself and you're doing things at a, different tempo a different level that we talked about it earlier just constant training constant invi- constant uh, you know evolutions of things and you, you compare that to everyday life yeah people work in a factory but i mean if you're working in a factory you're wearing body armor are you wearing body armor are you exposed to dangers are you uh, like what kind of physical don't forget about the physical workouts you do so you can sustain your body to handle the, the body armor and going up and down ropes and getting out of, in and out of helicopters and you know maybe what about even learning like picking up another human that is on a on a, on a skedco or on a stretcher or whatever it is so there's a lot of uh, internal and external factors um, and uh, it's part of lincoln's promise of within the va that if you serve our country we're going to take care of you and uh, i people have their opinions about the va and my opinion is that i think it's a government-ran organization and I think that they are very overwhelmed with what they can do. But in, in hindsight, I think they do the best they physically can. Um, and I don't think it's any individual. I think it's just the system that is cattywampus at times. Um, I've had fair uh, experiences with the VA. Um, but I've seen some pretty nasty ones. Um, but we just need to figure out another alternative. Mm-hmm. Um, my, I, my personal opinion is that I think all veterans should get some type of health care card, and we should go be able to go any private uh, uh, health care provider anywhere we want. It's funny how you it. talk about it, because the company I work for, like LHI, we we help uh, offload a lot of the scheduling for DBQs and seeing the doctors for everything. And I've seen claims files, and I've seen some really horrific situations. Plus, we also got the VACCN programs going on for dental, which has been a big win right there. So there's been a, a lot of advances over the last five years since I've started with the company being able to do all that stuff. But dental, correct me if I'm wrong, is only you're only eligible for dental if you're 100% service connected, or if you have trauma 
related to military service. I believe so. I'm see. I'm only on right. aspect of like, hey, this right. is, these these are your referrals. Right. Schedule these appointments, and but now a, my role is to make right. sure that the IT aspect, all the computer stuff, make sure everything works. There's a really good nonprofit that's started up by a guy. Um, his name's Kyle Arneson, Marine Corps veteran. He started up a nonprofit called Objective Veteran Smile, and he's raising money. And the money is used to get veterans dental care. And I actually used it to get some dental care. Um, and it's 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 something different because dental care is the rarest. It's the second most requested service in the VA. Second, dental. Think about that. Just dental care. People just want their teeth checked. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, like I said, 100% service connected. Or if you have trauma related to, to military service, otherwise you don't get dental. You get everything else except dental. Is that here in Wisconsin? <clears throat> no, that's, that, that's that, the VA. That's just, the v- VA. That's the VA. That's no, I mean the, the, non-profit. the non-profit. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. So, um, just a fun, just a fun, fun fact. So, not to take over. Sorry. No, that's all right. No, it's the nice thing is like I get to deal. With, we get to. I've worked a lot with a lot of cool veterans and working with um, the DOD and stuff. It's it's unique to sit there and just listen to them talk, and and listen to their stories and such. But it's always nice because. When you when my company we be able to give them an appointment within a their time frame working within their schedule, it's just like their whole attitude tends to change because now it's like what I've talked to guys that wait 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 years, and all of a sudden now it's like I got an appointment for X, Y, and Z. And I got another appointment coming up. It's like it's just it's nice to hear that um, they're not necessarily tear up, but that, that, that they're really happy that things are moving in a positive direction. So, but. We, we, we've hit a really good stride here, but I want to talk about this course. I want to talk about this field here. Like hard Kyle's cut. been uh, – Hard <laughs> pump breaks, hard yeah. stop. So, Kyle, man, you've been slow. What is your, your overall review on this course here in uh, the Twin City Rod and Gun? Boats and hose. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, there, there's definitely ups and downs of, of every course, I would say. I mean, the – this course, the thing I like about it, it gives you it's it's a lot of flat terrain, so a lot of individuals that are don't have much terrain around where they hunt or you know different things like that. <clears throat> um, you have a lot of flat trajectories on stuff, but the way they have the course set up through trees or you know splitting splitting limbs and everything like that, it's pretty cool. Um, on the backside, they have that pneumatic um, target that comes out. Yeah, that was that was that was yeah, that's a fun one right cool. there. X amount of time to shoot it, and then it goes back. Um, <clears throat> there's a lot of different things that they're, they're trying with this course, um, which is nice. Um, I will say they're, they're platform shoots they have that are, there are a few platform shots that are shooting between trees and stuff. I mean, it gives you more of a realistic type shoot or, you know, look at a target. Um, the club itself though, I mean, is amazing. I mean, there's a lot of property trails are all groomed. Nice mm-hmm. bugs have been very minimal. Yes. Um, <clears throat> You know what I mean? There's shaded parts, sunny parts. I mean, everything's super nice. Um, yeah, I mean, to, so like I said, I mean, I could gripe about anything, but there's really nothing yeah. too much to gripe about. I, I would say the only thing that just the elevation thing is hard. It's nice just because it gives you different aspects to, to take shots. And especially, I mean, how I look at these 3D events, I don't necessarily look at them as, as for counting scores. I look at them as for real-life type of scenarios. Um, puts you in a situation that you may not actually take on a real animal in, in real life, or you know you may not split trees, but gives you that opportunity to to challenge yourself and, oh, yeah. and, and give it a shot. Um, but they have the stakes for all the different classes and everything like that. So um, my kids were shooting, um, my wife was shooting. So I mean, it, it gives everybody the their stakes to shoot from. It gives everybody you know clear avenues to shoot. 
Um, but I, I mean, just the the members here at the club have, have been very welcoming. Um, just everybody here is super inviting. So you know. Being an out-of-towner, it's, it's definitely nice. Now, the straight arrow, uh, is that the ceremony going to happen before the uh, rib? Uh, or is that going to be tomorrow? So, no, most of the time we try to do it uh, right before the scram. Okay, that's what I was wondering, too, because yeah. I figured it's like, well, let's have you on. So, Ryan, you, you turn this into your own little tack. You, you're shooting all different weird ranges. You know, that's you know, Jeff, I mean, I anyways. just wake up in the morning and I piss excellence. Um, <laughs> shake and bake, babe. Shake and bake. <laughs> no, I... I, I love I love these events and I I've, I've always you know the, I I only live thirty minutes ish from here and I, I was a member last year and it's a great course very flat um, and uh, it, when I go to these these uh, these events like Rib Mountain I mean like I I did turn it into my own tack because there was an opportunity to shoot um, a goat at, like we did it at sixty three seventy five and eighty three and we all nailed it you know light and lighted knocks help too um, but then even even at uh, what was the other one? Washura. Washura. Yeah, yeah, Washura. Yeah, Washura. Yeah. So like through the trees. That's we were we shot that we shot that uh, puma. Yeah, what was it? Puma like sixty seven or something like that. Yeah, so I, a lot of it kind of stems from being down at uh, the Black Rifle Coffee Veteran Adaptive Shoot at the Black Rifle Coffee Ranch, shooting. You know, uh, like everything was man. I would say there was nothing less. I mean, there was one target in a tree that was like twenty five. Okay. Other than that, everything was like fifty plus. Maybe some f- high forties, okay. but I mean, I average average was shooting fifty. Like there was like some on the side of a hill, and I've never shot up a hill before, so I was kind of like, oh shit, I don't know what I'm doing here. You get a couple under your belt at this course, and it was, I felt really comfortable. My group was awesome. Um, I was shooting with uh, like Caleb Francis and Donut Operator. Um, uh, John Dudley was in our group a little bit, um, so that was crazy having John Dudley next to me shooting. I got to full draw on a bear at sixty eight, sixty nine. And one of the guys in the group was just like, Ryan, don't get nervous, but John Dudley's right behind you. And I'm just like, you fucking asshole. <laughs> and I let the arrow go and I, you know, hit like 10, I think 10 ring, 8 ring, whatever. Um, but then the Sasquatch at 107 over the pond, aim center chest, I got it right in a full mortal artery. Um, so definitely would have been a dead Sasquatch, I think. Um, but kind of taking all of that experience and bringing it back here. I don't want to like speak ill about shooting sub forty, but it's kind of like it's a chip shot. It's yeah. I mean, nice but I shouldn't talk though because my first archery event, yeah. I missed my I missed a buck at twenty seven yards completely, <laughs> completely, <laughs> completely missed it. So I mean, that's why that's why I do that is because long shots are confidence builders. That is that is a very valid point here. I've been kind of uh, neglecting the the the. Uh, the moose because I find myself that I'm not anchoring correctly, so I'm shooting either over or under it, and uh, my eyesight is just going to shit. So it's like I have a magnifier right now. It's like, but when I just go out there, it's like all I just see is a, a blob. Yeah, I mean, I'd say just send it, man. Just practice. Yeah, that's you know what I mean? that's why I got a, a leash and I got uh, a membership over there. Tell my warrants. Okay, which is perfect. Like, literally right perfect. down the road. So it's like it, it right. has that variable length and stuff like that to shoot at, which is like I'm. We're pretty pumped about it. Last year we were here at this very same place. We had UFC seven time. Uh, Tim here? Silva? No, I, oh, I wasn't so, here either. Yeah, so, so we had seven time world uh, champion uh, heavyweight. I think heavy heavyweight, heavyweight champion. Yes. Yeah, so yeah, Tim Silva, uh, Tim the Maniac Silva. Yeah. And we were him and I actually backed up at the long shot. We actually backed up another ten yards. So we're shooting like eighty one yards. 
and I we did like one arrow piece, and I beat him, and then he knee kicked me in the thigh, and that hurt. <laughs> that hurt. That hurt really bad. I took a I took a knee shot from a UFC a seven time world UFC oh, yeah. champion. So I mean, I don't want to brag or anything, <laughs> um, but I think uh, I th- you know I've only been doing this man. I've only been shooting bows what going on two years now. Yeah, I mean it was two years. Got pretty serious after, after I, got, I, out to you. I got pretty yeah. serious last year. Uh, I'm still serious about it. I've, I've learned to, I really dove into it last year. Like I was eat, breathing, sleeping, archery. Now I kind of like, I've been trying to figure out how to balance archery, full-time job, podcast, my daughter. So I'm trying to, now I can finally, it's the four levels of uh, consciousness. You guys are familiar with the four levels you got. You got uncon- well, my wife and I were just talking about that on the way up here about some of the books we've been reading. Oh, the, yeah, the four left ones, the competency. So yeah. it's like I'm at the point where I feel like I'm – it's like there's like the lowest level is uh, unconscious incompetence where you're just doing you're – doing, you're not thinking and you're still fucking up. Where it's like now I'm like I'm conscious but I'm incompetent a little bit maybe and there's conscious competence and there's, it goes on. But that's where I'm at kind of with, with bows right now. I've only been doing it two years um, and I've got a lot of awesome stories already um, to talk about. And uh, it's pretty awesome to kind of not be a newbie anymore, but I'm still like, I'm still kind of like, now I got to hopefully get a, I'm going to get a new site. You know, HHA's got uh, something coming out here soon. Yeah, it comes up on July 20th, I believe. Yeah, 20th, I think. I've actually right. seen it right. in person. I can't say much, but it's pretty awesome. I've oh, I just feel, felt I've, it. I felt and, it up. Uh, yes, yes. I, I just have, got to look I at it I may have put hard. my tongue See, on it. See, I haven't even got to look at it yet. You got, I'm, I'm sending the odd man out here. I have uh, put my tongue on it. That would surprise me. That's weird. <sighs> now, now we had eye we contact had... with somebody while I did that. So, David, we, we this is this is the first time you went to another HA event. You haven't blown up your bow yet. Is that is that still in the? Oh uh, well. So here's the thing. <laughs> Jeff, Don't scramble. Uh, Wait to yeah, jinx Tyson's not here. Yeah. Did unfortunately. You, hey, did you shoot a tree yet either? Because you did that at the last show. I did. Yeah. Oak is no joke. I got yeah. two trees on that one. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm doing pretty good. I, I don't really have a frame of reference. Uh, I don't know what's going on right now. I was on my phone. Oh yeah, well, I don't care about that. I thought I thought somebody was talking to me. I don't have a frame of reference. I just it's kind of my daughter last month. Uh, <clears throat> but yeah, uh, Tyson's not here. I told him he told me he wasn't coming, and I was like, "Well, I need your mobile uh, archery trailer so you can put my new string set on when I blow this one up." And uh, matter of fact, it was funny. <clears throat> my wife and kids made the trip with me this this time. Dave, where are you from? Uh, Indiana. And uh, so we show up, and myself, Chris, is it Aaron? With the Ritter. limitless, Ritter. yep, and yep. Uh, there's like six or seven of us. It felt like that group that you guys that we had when I met you guys last month. Yeah, and the first target, my wife and kids, they're all walking with us too. So it's like a big group of like twelve walking through, and uh, I I pull up and uh, I get I get ready to go full draw, and my wife's like, "Do you have an arrow in there?" <laughs> <laughs> and I just start giggling. And I was like, yeah, 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 I got one. I got one on there this time. I, I'm not going to dry fire. But, uh, yeah, it's um, – I don't know. It's – for me, I found myself over the last month uh, – Not you have your ups and downs, you know. So on those down days, you know, I just – I go grab my bow and I just go fling some arrows. I got a little range in my yard. Mm-hmm. I can get 30 yards out of it and uh, – I don't know why I never thought about this before. You know, it's just something that it's... It's what we were talking about at that last shoot. It's just yeah. a, a simple therapeutics. And, it, and it's because it's because when you shoot archery, if you're not 100% focused at what you're doing, you're going to miss. 
Yeah. So there, there's no way that you can just be half-assed at it because if you pull your bow up, put your side up back ah, close enough, and you release, I mean, your arrow is not going where you want it to. So it, it it forces you to get into that mindset to be completely entranced as what's going on. And once you get in that mindset, then you're stuck there, you know, and then you're going through the groove, you're having fun, you know, shooting. And even if it's three, four, five, six arrows, you know, you're doing your thing. And then after that, you're like, cool, you know, done with that. And now you're just like, all right, you know, what was I doing? You know, what, you know, what, whatever's going on. So, I mean, <clears throat> yeah, it's the, the simple therapeutics of it. Yeah. It's a, it's very, it's, it takes, it, it, it requires all your mind, you know, and, um, I feel very fortunate that I was uh, introduced to this last month, and uh, this past month has been a, I was just telling Jeff, it's been kind of a whirlwind of just trying to digest all the people that I've met, and the relationships that were formed, and that are continuously, I mean, I've, I don't have, I never got your digits, but uh, Kyle and I, like, I talked to Chris, talked to Kyle, Six inches. around, <laughs> Or <laughs> that's all you're gonna get out of me. <laughs> but uh, I, I just, it's, I don't know. I, I very much enjoyed it, and uh, I couldn't. It's not that I couldn't wait, but I was. I looked forward to this to coming today and uh, introducing the wife and kids to a couple people and letting them kind of see, you know, what uh, what it all what, entails. Yeah, what yeah. new this new thing that. Because every I'm out in the yard every day. When I get home from work, I, I I try to send about thirty a day down. Just just sighting thing. I got a new <clears> bowstring <throat> set put on, so everything was kind of cattywampus with the old setup. So I had to re-zero everything and get everything tuned back in. But you know, she's like, "You shoot today?" I was like, "Yeah, yeah, I do about thirty down." And it's I don't know. It's it's something that uh, is because I was like you. I was a gun guy. I still am a gun guy. But ammo's so expensive, and you know arrows—not that they're not expensive—but they're ten bucks. Well, you can go get them back, though. Yeah, you, you can go get them back. back. I can't go back and get that piece of lead, <clears throat> the gunpowder, and the primer and back. And so it's a. Uh, it, I shot years ago, and I got out of it just because I had kids and life took off and things got a little bit in the way. But uh, the kids are older now, and it's been reintroduced, and I'm I'm kind of I'm very fortunate. And I'm glad that it's back. Uh, and this course is, I have no frame of reference. I've only been to two. <laughs> so, but I like this one. Uh, what was the last one? Uh, Washura. Washura. No, Washura. Washura. I was at yeah. Washura. <clears throat> yeah, he was Red Mountains and Wausau. Yeah. I thought you were Washura. in Red Mountain. No, Washura. So, like. Yeah, that was such we, a long time ago. We went around yeah, and we did, we guys called it TAC. Yeah, Total Archer well, Challenge. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. what we were kind of doing at Washura. And so here. I noticed, like what you were saying, there's a lot of uh, between trees. It's short distance, but it's still a little bit of a challenge. I think the turkey, I I haven't shot the back of the course. I I omitted it to come do this, but the front course had the turkey on there, the boss Tom, and it was between a bunch of trees. And that was, uh, Aaron was like, oh, I'm not going first. He's like, I'm in. I'll go first on this one. I I, I don't care losing an arrow or six. I got six to lose this this time. Well, that's what, like what I said is, I mean, if you look at these events as, is, the opportunity to challenge yourself and take a shot that you'd never truly take or have the opportunity to take. It, yeah. it, it challenges you. I mean, and like, once you get that mindset of what am I going to do with wreck and arrow? Okay. 
it sucks, but whatever. Yeah, I, I got more. But yeah. but I mean, it gives you opportunity. But then when you hit something, now you look at it and you're like, you know, yeah, you shot through two trees that were six inches apart, and then you're like, well, yeah, I should be able to get that quarter inch arrow shaft through in between these six inches. Like it should be able to fit perfectly fine. Ryan's mm-hmm. over here hiding, trying to not say a smart ass <laughs> answer, but <clears throat> but you learn to challenge yourself. Yeah, and you know, once you see that, and you're like. You know, and I texted you earlier, and I asked if you were missing. You responded with home, foam is home, <laughs> you know. <clears throat> but, like I said, I mean, once you start, you know, you, you challenge yourself to take shots, and then, you know, you might be out of the core area, but you're still getting there. And now, then you're like, okay, now I'm confident to take that shot. Now I'm going to focus on, you know, the task at hand and, and where to shoot. And I mean, it's all about confidence boosting and, you know, building and everything, but it just, it comes, like you said, when you go out and shoot, it's just repetition, repetition, repetition is the name of the game. And, you know, it normally happens with me. It's like the first 10 targets when I shoot, it's just shaking off the cobwebs just because it's shooting in your backyard at a block or, you know, even your own 3d target, but you know where you're shooting. Um, You know, when you come to these targets and it's now you got, the the boar the the raising boar and dark target sitting in the woods i mean it's super hard to see the 10 ring or you know 12 ring and you're, you're trying to shoot it but it's so now you got that element now you're trying to shoot you know whatever conditions and stuff like that started getting a little bit hotter today so now you're getting sweaty i mean just the little things you're going through but in a perfect world when you're hunting it doesn't happen so you need to be able to you know go through those little scenarios but the nice thing is is it consistently go through these towards the end of the season it's like yeah i mean you guys are saying you know 20 40 yard shots but you're like it's a chip shot but you think that and then when you shoot a 20 40 yard shot and you miss you're like what the hell was i doing but you know it's just because when you're used to going all farther you know shooting farther shots you know you focus on that but then you come inside but you know i mean you're still focused on and it still helps you you know go through each of these Exactly. Like my wife had had a shitty week all week long. She's dealt with customers, with the bank, and all like just, just battle hell of a week. And she almost thought about not coming. And she's like, "You just go by yourself." But she, she is at the end of all three targets. She's like, "I am so glad I went because now she feels better." I upped her poundage. She was shooting really well. Like the first half, it's like we were splitting hairs between us, between the two of us. She would get a twelve, I get a ten, or I'd get a ten, she get an eight, or I'd get an eight. And it's like it, it's really like. This whole year about putting that magnifier just like really changed her whole, whole perspective on it. And this is just right up her alley because it's like she she wanted something laid back, and that's exactly what she needed. And I think she's going to be a lot more well rested. She went back to the hotel and take a nap, and she's going to come back. And well, she said, "I'll go pick you up." I was like, all right, that's fine. That's that's cool. I got my bow. It's like because last time uh, we were with Shara, she was I, like I put my load in my bow and left her over there to record and just kind of hung out. And on her way back. She gets pulled over by the cops. Uh-huh. <laughs> luckily, the cop was really nice, and she said, and they let her go and gave a warning. and And uh, my daughter was a little, little, little nervous because it was the first time she'd ever been pulled over by the cops. Like, yeah, that's fine. She's like, yeah. she let her off with a warning and told her, "Thank you for wearing that." Saying so she, it was a, a teachable moment. Saying it's like, if you don't treat them like crap, they're gonna treat you with respect. Yeah. Well, and I would say because my wife came out and she was shooting with me, um, and this is her second three D shoot, um. But I think the fun thing was is eventually we got into a groove where it just became a little competition between the two of us, mm-hmm. you know. But it's just friendly competition between us. But I think 
I, I don't know about you guys, but in any relationship, married or not, I mean, little things become competitions, but it's always fun. Oh, yeah. Just between you, because you're just joking around. Having oh, fun, yeah. You know, and, and so it's, yeah, it's still a challenge, but when, you know, I, on the end of it, I mean, when she's shooting lights out, it just puts a big smile on me just because you're like, yeah, you're getting it. Yeah, my best, fr- my best friend wanted to become get, get an archery type scenario. That's, that's what I was hoping for. I mean, I went through. I kissed a lot of fro- frogs before I got to my wife. So, you know, that's just that's just how sometimes it rolls. So you finally got out of the marsh and you came in going by people. Yeah, that's it seemed, it seemed to happen that way. <laughs> just like, hey, let's try this out. Finding the right frog. Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. you you kiss frogs and I ate a lot of. Oh, never mind. <laughs> What are you gonna say, frog legs? I, I heard they taste like chicken. I was pizza. I will. I will. I will crush pizza. Well, I want to say pussy. I was. Yeah, I get it. Well, I want to say thank you for all of you guys coming on the podcast. This was a hoot. I mean, I learned a lot from you, Ryan and Kyle. Thank you for joining us. For sure, dude. It's always a fucking ride with you. Thanks, man. Thank you. Guys are very welcome. Prestige worldwide. Yeah. Oats and hope. <laughs>